Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 43 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. Larry Zonka. And I'm joined here by my affable co-host, former market maker of 20 years and current day retail trader, a man who dropped so much trading wisdom, you'd think he was careless, the legendary house street flipper who was stuck in the game deeper than the ocean floor. I'm talking about the proper villain, JJ. How's it going? Hey, how good, brother. How are you doing today? Doing good, man. Doing good. Excited for our guest today, who is a chartered market technician and founder of All Star Charts, a research, a research platform for market investors with the top-down technical analysis approach. Before starting All Star Charts, our guests work on the sell side as a broker, analyst, investment banker. His work has been featured by the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, CNBC, Fox Business, and many others. And a man who is equally knowledgeable about crushed grapes. I'm talking about JC Parrot. JC, how's it going, man? What's up, man? That's an intro. I like it. I like it. Not as many rhymes as you had on the other intros, though. Which is, you know. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it depends on how I'm feeling, but, uh, you know, I, I give it my best. But I like I, it. I, I see. Speaking of rhymes, I, I saw you, uh, you tweeted about Nas's new album. What would you think? I mean, you know, I, I'm partial to what I grew up with. So, yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to hate. I love everything that comes out. Of, you know, I, I, I can get down with, with Nas, um, you know, but for me, you know, I just picture those old albums and I used to live on the, in, in the East, in East Midtown, a couple blocks from the Queensboro Bridge. So when you cross Queensboro, you got Queensbridge on the left. So I would always run and, you know, it was basically like a three and a half mile run from my house over the Queensboro and then back around, back to the crib, and I would be listening to Nas. So, I mean, I'm partial to, to that stuff. You know? Yeah. No, I, what about you? Is that all right? You like, you like what he did or what? I, I liked it. Actually, it was my first time listening uh, yesterday. Um, I was listening while I was trading, and, I, you know, I liked it. it. It still, to me, seemed like Nas. Nas is still Nas. Uh, maybe I'm biased like you. I like He's one of my favorites, if not my favorite. So, um, yeah, I like, you know, I, I, I like the firm biz, all that stuff. They brought all that back. I thought that was cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, so obviously that's close to my heart when they do stuff like that. Oh, yeah, that oh, that I was so hyped for that. Like I saw when he brought them all back. What, he had a uh, uh, AZ, Foxy, Foxy Brown. Brown. I tell my wife, my wife's eight years younger than me. So I tell her about Foxy Brown. She's like, who? I'm like, man, if you only knew <laughs> <laughs> Foxy was bad. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good, man. Yeah. Oh, man. Jay, 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 it's funny. JJ surprises me with with hip hop references. I mean, he's a little bit. Uh, I don't want to say old Jay, but he he. <laughs> hip hop references sometimes. He he's out. more of a Big Daddy Kane kind of guy. Yeah, you know the whole. Uh, I was I was a bouncer in the '90s, so you know, with the uh, Flavor Flav, and you know. <laughs> It was it was that was the stuff they played at our club. A little more public enemy. All right, all right. Uh, yeah, so a lot of that, and yeah, I, I I don't know. I was I worked in some pretty weird places. So <laughs> from that to uh, Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> all right. Yeah. yeah. I got caught in a mosh pit once at a Rage Against the Machine concert. I thought I was gonna die. Like oh, literally, yeah. everybody was kind of calm, and they hit one chord, and the whole place goes nuts. Nuts. Yeah. Uh, like. And we were with some girls. We're like, we got to get out of here. Like, it oh, was yeah. like one chord and everybody just went bananas. Never oh, seen anything yeah. like that. Yeah, try working in a club where that was going on every night. Oh, my God. That can't be It was stayed. a workout. It was a workout. Free COVID. Very <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. All right. Well, just a reminder to the listeners, uh, if you guys want to learn market auction theory, market profile, trade futures, trade equities, join JJ and I. Out our lovely trading community, microefutures.com. JC, uh, what age did you first start gaining interest in markets? So my, my family was just not, you know, at the dinner table, we weren't talking about stocks. I, I grew up in Miami, Cuban parents. Um, you know, I'm first generation born in the country. Uh, both my parents came over when they were little. So, you know, my parents had like mutual funds, some real estate investments. My father was more entrepreneur. 
Um, and it was sort of that sort of conversation, more of an entrepreneurship, I guess, conversation. Um, I guess, you know, looking back on it, that probably had some impacts on sort of the decisions that I made from a business standpoint. Market-wise, you know, I had a friend of mine who was about a year older than me, and he was like, you know, we used to go to Barnes and Nobles and just like grip books and read books, like, you know, on a Tuesday night, you know, in the summer and just kind of try to learn some stuff. This is when we were real young, like 18. Um, and, and he was reading this book on ETFs and he's like, yeah, JC, the diamonds, you got diamonds, you got cubes and you got spiders. I remember, I'll never forget that conversation. I'm like, spiders, that's a stupid name. Cubes, that's everything just seems so stupid. I'm like, I don't understand diamonds. I get that's cool. The other ones make no sense (laughs) to me. You know? So I remember that was like my first impression and he was just older than me. So like, you know, he, you have older friends, they just make an impression on you. Right. So I thought that that was cool. So I started looking more on that, but I kind of kind of forgot about it. And then I went to college. I was a business major. I'm taking finance classes, accounting classes. I just hated classes in general. Mostly accounting classes was to me just a nightmare. And then I had an internship at Merrill Lynch. And that summer, this was 03, that's really when everything clicked. And, and I was like, oh, shit, this is dope. This is for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not. I was a baseball player, but, like, I was just good enough to play Division One, barely. And I wasn't going anywhere. I wasn't lefty. I wasn't throwing in the 90s. I, li- I made a living throwing junk and um, got me that far. But that, that, I, I didn't get any looks past that. So it was just a no-brainer. I, I needed to find something that I loved to do. And I, 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 I was just interested in the market. I mean, that's, I just thought it was cool. Mm-hmm. It just made sense to me. It was kind of like a puzzle, kind of like putting a puzzle together rather than like memorizing facts and science or history like you know all that stuff bored you know british literature oh my god i can't think of anything worse so the only thing that really made sense to me was sort of like geometry algebra you know pe right just kind of (laughs) figuring things out um where i didn't really have to study i could just sort of figure it out and i'd be I, i succeeded in 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 those endeavors i guess the market is kind of an adult version of those things yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I think it's it's perfect, or at least for me, like being a uh, former athlete. Now, I didn't play at the collegiate level or anything, but I grew up playing sports. And, you know, I gravitated to poker first, now trading. And it's almost uh, an outlet for competition. I feel like a way to compete, challenge yourself as well. So I, I always viewed it um, from that aspect. So, so JC, you lived in New York uh, for a long time. Tell me uh, about the, the lifestyle you were living, you know, living in NYC, being in a, a finance industry. Man, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> you know, it, it truly, and I don't know if it's going to be like this for a while. I like to hope that it will be again someday. But the advantage that I had in being in that freaking island, as long as I was, you know, maybe my liver suffered, maybe my, you know, sleep deprivation suffered. Um, you know, I, but the, the, the wisdom that I got, not just from talking, not just because of the, the, di- the people that I were sitting next to me at dinner or at the bar or at this meeting or wherever I, or in the green room before I was on this particular network or whatever, right? All of those interactions, OJC, were, every time, if you're in this business, you got to make your way to New York at some point, one way or another. That's just how it is. No matter where in the world you live, you got to make it to that island. And I lived there for a long, long time. So it was one of these two things. It was either, hey, JC, I'm coming into town from Charlotte, London, Sydney, San Diego, whatever. Hey, JC, I'm coming into town. Get everybody together. Let's go have dinner. Get everybody together. Let's go grab a couple of drinks. So it was either that or... Hey, JC, so-and-so's in town, we're going to go have dinner. Or so-and-so's in town, we're going to go have drinks. So one way or another, I hooked up with everybody. Anybody that mattered anyway, anybody that I needed to learn from or meet or whatever it is, so much just every week, again and again, whether it was this conference and just even stupid things like the iShares 10th anniversary of the GLD ETF Yo, JC, we got this conference. There's free sushi, open bar. (laughs) I'll meet you at the Waldorf. And it's like some ridiculous thing that has nothing to do with me or anything, but there's free booze, free sushi. 
and I'm going with a few of my buddies. Yeah, let's go. And, you know, let's, I have, it's on my way home. There's, I can't think of any reason on earth why I would not want to do that. You know, right? Like why? Yeah. You know, and then as it turns out, there were other people there that had the same idea. Like they didn't give a damn about the 10th anniversary of the stupid (laughs) ETF, but they're like, oh, so-and-so's going and there's free sushi and free booze in right so that that was happening all the time yeah you know so it 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 truly was such a blessing um and so an experience that uh, i mean it will help me for the rest of my life yeah yeah i I always think like if i could go back and do it over like i that's exactly what i would do get in new york city in the finance industry it just i love hearing the stories uh what people say about it i I mean jay you spend a little bit time in new york yeah i was there at least once a month you know, yeah. because I was dealing with the market makers out of Jersey City. Yeah. And, you know, so we'd spend a lot of time and and just even like being in certain places, you know, in a restaurant, you turn around and, you know, there's the head of some desk, you know, some old guy. And, you know, you have a conversation with him and you learn more in that five minutes than you could from any textbook. You know, it's just amazing the people you meet there. And then and when you're in places and when you're in places that. It, 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 it might not be great that you're there, but it's acceptable that you're there. But you see people that they, you know for a fact they should not be there. Exactly. This is not, this is not where you need to be at yeah. 1 o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday yeah. and your family's in Greenwich. This is not. <laughs> I probably shouldn't be here either, but it's, it's okay for me to be here. But not you. It, it's uh-uh. okay. It's okay. The sales traders from night are paying for it. <laughs> oh man. I found my, myself in some situations, dude. Oh, wow. Too. What a that, city. That, well, that's how I met Turney Duff. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There you go. You know, in one, in one of those places. <laughs> and that's a great book. Um, nice yeah. guy too. I had dinner with him a couple of times. Really nice guy. Great book. What's the name of the book? Uh, buy I, side, the buy side. side? Yeah. The yeah. All of that's true, by the way. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly how it is. Everything he said. Yeah, and yeah. worse. And worse. And worse. He's the man. He's the man. We we had him on probably a year ago, right, Jay? A year ago. And uh, I think he's coming on next week. So uh, yeah. should be fun. I love, love Turney. Love the book. Cool. Tell him I say what's up. It's been too long. Well, we'll do. We'll do. I haven't talked to him in like 10 years. I'll let him know. No, we will. We'll, we'll let him Tell know. Tell says what's up. We will. We will. How do you guys think, and I guess this is a question for both of you guys. How, how do you think it's like compared and contrast like, uh, over the years, like the industry, I guess maybe just like the culture and the lifestyle, you, you think it's different nowadays? Yeah. You know, I think, um, I mean, listen, the way that I, the way that I grew up, the, what, what my friends were doing coming out of high, maybe not coming out of high school, but coming out of college was getting internships at the biggest companies that they could. And most of these companies don't even exist anymore. Like I remember my buddy got an internship and a job at Bear Stearns and we're like, man, that is awesome. Good for you. And then this guy's at Merrill Lynch and this other guy's at Lehman Brothers. Oh, wow, you're working at Lehman Sick and this and that. Now, none of those companies exist anymore. And now the kids these days, they don't want to work at companies like that. That's the worst. And the shareholders are, uh, uh, the market has voted. Like when you look at the, <laughs> the, the stocks of these big banks and these big institutions, I mean, oh, disgusting. So the, 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 the smartest kids coming out of the best schools um, or moving forward, maybe no schools at all. Who knows how that's going to work out? They don't want to work at these places. They want to work at cool companies, building cool things, cool tools with cool people that they want to be with. Not this corporate bullshit. It's, it's fascinating to me. It's fascinating. And I, you know, I'm in a position because of my wide reach and audience and just sort of uh, where I've placed myself in sort of the, in, in the technical analysis community and market community I, get, I, 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 I hear a lot of things because I talk to a lot of young kids looking for jobs and I'm asking them why they're coming to me. Why aren't they going to other places? And I know the answers, but I like hearing it, right? Yeah, it's interesting. I, what about you, Jay? What, what, what have you seen from your perspective? Because you, I mean, you've been around for, um, what, since the 90s, yeah? Using- yeah, back in, the, back in the days before decimalization. Um, yeah, you know, it's like... You know, I started in 93 and it's so much more different now. And I, and I weaseled my way into the industry because I didn't go to B school. You know, I went, I did microbiology, you know, so I, you know, I worked through, you know, I started out in a boiler room uh, being an opener and then I got a job with the marketing company that sold leads. And then I took all those clients and they sold stock through me, you know, through their offshore accounts into the United States when they did deals. So I would just rig markets. 
And um, that's how I got my job on the trade desk. So it was like, you know, the reason I got it because I read Linda Ratchke said she went and got a job near the exchange so she could meet people. That's so I went, Oh, hey, that worked for her. So I did it. Right. Uh-huh. And uh, that's how I weaseled my way in, in Vancouver, you know, because before that I was working as a bouncer. And um, <laughs> so I got a government job just to work for the feds just because it was next to the exchange, you know, and, and then just weaseled my way in. And it's so much more different now. You know, I remember being told at an interview at a bank because I was wearing loafers that serious serious financial people don't wear shoe, you know, uh, loafers, they wear lace up shoes. Right. And if you could just imagine telling that to somebody who's like 21 now, they would just like fall over laughing. Right. They like, what are you serious? Right. You know, you know, I'm not wearing the right shoes. And, right? and let's talk, let's think about, let's talk about why that's the case. And I think it's data, you know, the, yeah. the availability of data that just wasn't the case 25 yeah. years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years. Exactly. I mean, just wasn't the case at all. Would you agree, Jason? Yeah, definitely. Like the access to information nowadays is just, it's spectacular. We, we, it know? takes us three days to build an algorithm that was, would have been impossible for any investor to ever do unless you worked at a massive bank and had all these quants working for you. It takes us three days to do it. No big deal. Really? Joke. I didn't even know Joke. that. I'm, like, I'm, I'm old, so algos are completely beyond my reach. But I'm fascinated. Fine, but I, I, and me too. But at least I can design it and tell them to do it, and they do oh, it. Oh, really? Well, right? Oh, well, cool. yeah. I'm not building. I don't know oh. this shit. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you know how to write them. I didn't know. No, that. I wow, just know what. Cool. I, I know the output. Yeah. I know what yeah, I yeah. want. Right. Like, hey, really? Give me this. I don't give a shit how we get there. Figure it out and get me this. Right? And really? That. In three days? That's fascinating. Oh, it depends on the algo, obviously. Yeah. yeah. The latest that's pretty cool. Video. Yeah. That's cool. That's yeah, very cool. It is, yeah. I, I always, I, yeah. I'm fast. I, I do like. I'm, I'm coming more around to uh, appreciating the differences in how it's, it's evolved. It's, uh, it really is fascinating. So, JC, how? So, so bridge the gap for us. So, you're in New York City. Um, you go out on your own. Uh, how did, how did all that happen? Yeah. So, speaking of just corporate bullshit, like the last thing I wanted to do, like I just don't do well with people telling me to do it like this and like you know this is how we do things here and all that. Like, it's just not for me. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna lose, I want it to be my fault. You know, I don't want to lose because some other guy screwed up or the, some other guy made a bad decision. So if if it's gonna if we're gonna lose, it's gonna be my bad. It's on me. Yeah. And, I, and I'm cool with that. But I'm also getting the upside. <laughs> Right. Yeah. That's, that's how I look at it. Yeah, so that's a trader, that's a trader right there. That's a, that's trader a trader. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And uh, so I started a hedge fund, started doing that grind. I mean, what a struggle because in, you know, for years, um, you know, rate, trying to raise money, you know, fund administrators, attorneys cool. came in this and it never ends. Never, ever, ever ends. It's like you're writing checks all day, right? Oh, like, and then you're on conference calls and, uh, and the fund admin is like, oh, you sent us the wrong Forex statement. We need this Forex statement to go with the future statement. And then you got the equity statement and the derivatives and that never ends. So if you're a startup hedge fund manager or you want to start a hedge fund, like, man, good luck. They make it freaking impossible. So anyway, we somehow got through all that stuff and we're doing, and it just, it never ends. So anyway, it's a very expensive to run a GP. So uh, an outfit out of, uh, out of uh, Detroit called Benzinga approached me in 2014. There were just a bunch of those guys, like one, two, three, and four up there were just drinking buddies of mine whenever they were in New York. Um, you know, we'd go find our way to an Irish pub or whatever. And they were like, hey, we got this back end. If you, anybody who wants to sell like their research on a subscription basis, you just send it to us, we'll sell it and just cut you a check. And I'm like, no, 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 I'll just raise a billion dollars. <laughs> And then finally, I was like, all right, fine. See if you can make me a few bucks. Because I'm like, listen, I'm doing all this homework anyway. I'm the only one that sees it. Nobody buys it. Nothing changes for me. I still have to do the homework. And yeah. if people buy it, great. Because that's in a couple extra bucks that helps pay the bills until we raise a billion dollars, right? And um, that quickly turned into a, a, a huge business where, you know, I ended up getting just uh, hedge fund managers and, and, and traders and were, were looking for more research and more research. And I was like, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to move to California, get the hell out of New York, uh, you know, put my head down, turn an unfinished product into a business and turn this into an actual business and move back to New York in two years, relaunch the fund, live happily ever after. But now I have a business behind uh, the product instead of just some unfinished product that I'm not even paying attention to. 
So that was the idea. So five years later, we're still in California. The research turned into this monster that I never realized. I mean, it took me over that five-year period in California. I was in Mumbai three times. I'm in Tokyo three times, uh, Singapore twice, Hong Kong twice, London, Dublin, Amsterdam, Athens, Paris, I mean, literally all over the world, giving presentations all over, you know, all over North America, Vancouver, Toronto, New York, obviously, you know, San Francisco, LA, Dallas, Houston, Austin, Chicago, you name it. And I've probably given a presentation there or several. And we're just, we do business in a hundred countries. Our clients are the biggest hedge funds in the world. You know them all. Um, uh, the biggest banks in the world, pretty much all the biggest banks in the world uh, are clients of ours. And then individual investors all over the world. So we get a very unique set of data. We have clients literally give us data because they want us to have it so that we can help them even more. Mm -hmm. um, so we're just getting all sorts of stuff. We have really smart clients that come up with cool ideas and cool algorithms that they want us to build for them. And then since we build it, it's ours also, you know, so we get to use it and we get to, um, so it's just, it really is such a blessing to be able to have so many smart people constantly giving me ideas and feedback all day long every day for years and years and years together um you know so we're just i'm just trying to take advantage of that as best i can and try to give back to the community as best i can as well because i know for a fact other people just don't have that those sources and that the data that we got no yeah absolutely man and uh yeah i mean a lot of respect man for what you've built and going on your own and building it to where it's at today uh can you you know, surmise for us, uh, you know, the type of analysis uh, and research that you guys do. So for us, it starts with the top down. And, and I think part of the reason of our success is that we, we cast a wide net in terms of who would be interested in the things that we do. Mm -hmm. Simply as a function of the fact that we start with the top down, like the global macro international analysis is where we start our analysis. So because of that, anybody who's interested in global macro and international markets and intermarket analysis, between stocks and interest rates and commodities and currencies. Anybody who's interested in that loves our work because that's just where we start. And then we drill down to the international markets, um, the, excuse me, the US markets, if we're talking about the, if, if we're talk having a US conversation or having an India conversation, we drill down to the Nifty 500, for example. But a case in the United States, we'll go through all the US indexes, but that comes after we've done all that international and intermarket uh, analysis of every stock market index in the world, every commodity future from oil and gold, all the way to cardamom futures in India and Malaysian palm oil futures and everything in between and all of the currencies from Euro, Yen uh, to Nakisaki and Aussie Yen, right? So we're, we're going across the board and all of the intermarket relationships between all of them because some currencies are more uh, tied to commodities versus others. Um, these commodities and interest rates, there's relationships there. So by the time we get to dive into specific sectors in the United States, it already comes within this massive framework and context that we are putting it in. So we're, if we're looking at industrials or financials or technology in America, it comes within the context of all of those other things. So it comes with a bias already, uh, a global uh, interconnected uh, complex, and then we'll go to the sectors, then break it down to the industry group. So in other words, you have the sectors, so you got financials, healthcare, technology, communications, right? But within that, you have sub-industry groups. So if we're looking at financials, you can't just blanket all of them the same. You've got the, um, you got the money center banks, you've got the regional banks, you've got broker dealers and exchanges and uh, insurance stocks, and they're all vastly different. You look at healthcare, you've got pharmaceuticals and biotechnology, but you also have medical equipment. <laughs> Those are basically tech stocks. These are freaking robots performing surgery. Like that's not healthcare, that's tech all day, baby. And, <laughs> and you wanna know something? They look like tech stocks. They don't look like pharma or biotech. They look like tech stocks. You know why? Because they are tech stocks. So within each sector, you have sub-industry groups and ultimately we'll drill down to the components, the stocks themselves in those sub-industry groups that stand out uh, for whatever reason, for longs or shorts or whatever it is that we're looking for. Um, so by the time we decide we're going to buy Abbott Labs, 95% of the reason we're buying Abbott Labs has nothing to do with the chart of Abbott Labs. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Interesting, man. That's, that's, that's great stuff, man. How, JC, to you, because you're a uh, CMT, how, how vital is that certification to you and as far as how you do your own personal analysis? You know, for me, it's table stakes. 
you know, if you take your portfolio seriously or trading seriously in any way, in any capacity, and you're not a CMT or you're not preparing for your CMT, I think it's lazy. Mm -hmm. I think, and I say that respectfully for everybody. I don't know if you guys are CMTs or not. I say that just, I, that's from the, I say that from the bottom of my heart. And it may not just be lazy. It might just be ignorance in some cases that people don't know about it. They might not be familiar with it. But I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, I swear to God, it's table stakes. That's, that's all it is. But getting to the getting access to that community of other CMTs and other brilliant minds, you can't put a price tag on that. I don't care who you are. There's nothing better than that community. And the CMT is going to give you the body of knowledge at the very least. So you're going to have you. I might be more intermarket oriented than another CMT. Another CMT might be more quantitative than me. Another CMT might be better at breath analysis than me. I might be better at momentum better than you'll find your path. Mm -hmm. But the CMT gives you that body of knowledge that once you complete that, now your journey begins. But your journey oh. begins with a lot more common knowledge, you know, not sort of common knowledge, actually very uncommon knowledge, but uh, sort of just kind of like a general a body of knowledge that you need to have to be prepared to now begin your journey. So the day you pass your CMT should be day one of your journey. Gotcha, gotcha. This is, this is really great. This is really great info. Sorry, Ray. No. I just I was always curious about that, and it's really great to get that perspective on it. Thanks, Jason. I'm because friends with CMTs in a zillion countries, like the in in India and in yeah. uh, Tokyo and all these, and you want to know the common denominator between all? It's unbelievable. Our cultures could not be more different. I'm Cuban from Miami, eating arroz con frijole, <laughs> and and I'm with some somebody in India or in Japan, and it's all the same thing. It's fear and greed, supply and demand. It's it's yeah. unbelievable. It's fascinating to me, human human beings. Yeah, no, it it is, and um, <clears throat> you know, uh, speaking of that, I wanted to ask you about this because I'm not I'm not too educated on Dow theory because I know you're a proponent of it. How how is a a hundred and thirty year old theory still relevant today? That dude, that was a bad dude, man. That Charlie Dow, that was a bad dude. And you know, he was he. This was in the 1880s. He was a journalist out of Springfield, Massachusetts. And he was a journalist and he's trying to get information about companies and he'd go knocking on businesses doors and they'd say, our business is none of your business. <laughs> so he'd be like, that sucks. So he's like, all right, so how am I going to find, be able to track the way the economy is going? How can I track the, cause he understood that there were times where things were good and there were times when things were not good. And he was looking for a way to, um, to be able to quantify that in his own 1800s way, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, doing it the old-fashioned way, knocking on people's doors with, just wasn't happening. So he's like, all right, so I'm going to create a, a, a two indexes. We're going to have the industrials that are going to be 12, uh, you know, companies, big companies that I feel best represent the companies that create the goods and services of this country. And then I think it was 10 or 8 uh, railroad stocks that represented at the time the companies that were able to deliver those goods. So he's like, so you got the ones that make them and you got the ones that deliver them, right? And if things are good, they should both be going up together. And if things are bad, they should both be going down together. And when one of them's doing something and the other one's not, there's something funky going on and it's probably a heads up. So that was, that was interesting. That's number one. Number two, he's like, with all this noise going on in the middle of the day, it's the closing prices we care about most. Mm. Holy shit, this is 135 years ago, dude, is saying about this. Exactly. Yeah, sharp, yeah. Damn. Yeah. So, <laughs> so closing prices are the most important prices. Also, the fact that there are bull markets and bear markets and there are phases of accumulation at the beginning of bull markets, you know, the, the, the thrusts and the trends in the heart of the bull markets, you know, the euphoric phase at the end of those bull markets. He was he's talking about this in the 1880s and that's still yeah. because and you know why it's because the, we, we have decimalization as jj alluded to earlier we've got new asset classes cryptocurrencies and things that didn't exist back then but the one constant is us yeah. so you and me it's human behavior it's the crazy pills everything going on between <laughs> the years you know um that's what's really fascinating uh, at the time, volume was very important. Um, I, I completely dismissed volume altogether, which is blasphemy in some circles. Um, but, uh, 
you know, the volume and the way Charles Dow described it and volume today are two completely different things. Mm -hmm. So if it was the way Charlie had it, then I would agree with that, but it's just not like that anymore. So volume's out and that's part of Dow theory for sure. Um, um, and I just see it, it's, I think what gets people forget is that Dow theory, they just think it's industrials and transports confirming each other or not, but there's, there's just a lot more to it. There's a lot more to Dow theory. There's, there's a series of Dow theory tenets. That's just one of them. And yeah. it's only handy twice a decade, maybe, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Right, yeah. Right. yeah, no, yeah. it's definitely fascinating. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to dive into it. Listeners should dive into it. Yeah, Jay, you got something to say? No, no, I was just wondering, is, and is it that, that Dow theory forecasts, are those, are those the people that put that out, or is that? Put what out? Uh, their newsletter or something like that. I was just wondering. Anyway, it's, it's, it's not important. I was just wondering where the source comes from. Source of what, though? Uh, the Dow theory. Like, are people, is there somebody who does like a forecast right now? Who, you know, who actively? I mean, I hope not because it's not a forecasting tool. So if someone's okay. forecasting using Dow theory, like they're clearly charlatans because ah, that's just God. not that's just not a thing. Like, it's Thank just you. a trend identification system that's confirming or diverging from one another. It's a series of uh, it's a series of tenants that there are in fact phases of uptrends and phases of downtrends so it's not so much a forecasting as it is uh, a way to observe uh, markets the the fact that the trend is in place until it's not that's dow theory tenant so all anything trend following just the, the 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 philosophy that the market is there's a higher likelihood for it to continue to move in that direction than for it to reverse, which is why technical analysis works is because all we're trying to do is identify trends. And the one thing we know is that market returns are not evenly distributed on a curve. They are the markets trend. That's why technical analysis works. Also the averages discount everything. The market is a discounting mechanism. That is Dow theory. And people forget that. And everyone's like, well, the Wall Street and Main Street is not connected anymore, and there's this dislocation. No, you idiot. It's that the market is a discounting mechanism. So for you to have the audacity to tell me that Wall Street and Main Street are separating or whatever, that you're trying to tell me that you can see into the future. And you have like this, like, you know... Doc Brown, you know, DeLorean, <laughs> that you're going into the future and you're telling me what the market is discounting six months from now. No. Uh, got it. Got it. Cool. Humans are cool. stupid. It's fascinating. <laughs> Myself included. I, I say humans, homo sapiens, we are like the worst. Yeah. <laughs> you, you had me laughing, JC, man. You, um, I don't know, a week or two ago, you tweeted something out. It, and uh, you said uh, something about the perm, uh, the perma bears, like this couldn't kind of happen to a, a worse group of pe- or a better group of people. Uh, it's something to that effect. You want to speak on them for a minute? Dude, these clowns have gotten so steamrolled. Yeah. And it's just a great lesson. It's not so much like funny, ha ha, you know, you suck. Like it's not, it has nothing to do with that. It's let's, all be aware of what is currently taking place and these part this particular group of charlatans suggesting the world is falling apart price has proved them wrong like six months ago not even now like this is they've they've been proved wrong a long time ago and they just continue to persist with their gloom and doom and it's very important it's so important for investors in general, investors of any time horizon, of any asset class, if you're only trading crypto or if you only trade stocks or if you only trade energy or whatever it is that you do, watch these people losing. Watch that, you need to pay attention to that so it doesn't happen to you, so that it doesn't happen to me. And that's happened to me, because I had some success in 2008, world fell apart, I nailed it, right? So, and everybody was right there trying to tell me how great I am and how smart I am. And that's the worst thing you can ever do to anybody is tell them how great they were. Because now fast forward to 2013 and I had such a great experience in 08 that I was just ready for that next one. Oh baby, the next end of the world market crash. I'm going to nail out one too. So in 2013, S&Ps are breaking out, transports are breaking out and I wasn't buying it. 
I was looking for every divergence. Every higher high was the top, head of a head and shoulders top. Every, you know, like I was that guy. I mean, it, it went on for several months. It wasn't the end of the world, thank God. But for a little while there, I was Mr. Gloom and Doom, Mr. We Need to Mean Revert, Mr. Um, oh, we didn't get as many highs that time. That was it, you know, or, oh, and golf, <laughs> bearish and golfing, short everything, like, and I got steamrolled, man. I got so steamrolled. So you know what? Did that suck for me? Absolutely. Uh, but that'll never happen to me again. So it's important that other people that may have not had that experience because everybody's life experiences are different. I had to learn the hard way only because I was successful. In other cases, you might learn the hard way. And then, you know, there's, everyone's going to go about these lessons differently but we can all unanimously learn from these perennial losers that continue to want to fight a trend and they are getting steamrolled. So take a picture of them, write it down, frame them, be like, this is the, the do not, you do not want to be this person, you know, you know, like when you, uh, when in Notre Dame, like they're like, play like a champion. Like this is the opposite. Like, don't be this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I was I was just so glad to see like someone of your uh, standing in the community like say that or like tweet that because like, man, these people tilt me so much or like even people who aren't experienced or looked up to in the community. Like, it's just like, hey, just don't even pay attention to the news, man. Just price, price, price. I don't know why it's so hard for people to understand this. The, last, the other day they're telling me about this trade war thing. I don't know the first thing about this. I know it has something to do with Trump and it has something to do with China. That's the furthest that I know. <laughs> My understanding, according to these conspiracy theorists, is that in 2008, the stock market stopped going up. And two, excuse me, in 2018, the stock market stopped going up because of this thing that they call a trade war. I mean, the stock market stopped going up at exactly the measured move targets of the Dow Jones Industrial Average. I don't know what China or Trump has anything to do with that. So, you know, for me to try to create narratives around facts to me is like so counterproductive. You have facts and you could focus on facts or you could look at the facts and then go spend all your time trying to create stories about that. Like you're an adult. You still need bedtime stories to go to sleep, like grow up. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, like I speculate, JC, I think it's like just uh, for like, I guess maybe inexperienced people, maybe experienced people themselves. It's part of like the human brain just wants to always put a story to something. But that is true, though. Right. That is true. Yeah, that is 100 percent true. I mean, we as as humans, the, the way that we came up is by gossiping and telling each other stories. That's the most human thing you can want to do. And to quote Annie Duke, she was, she's fantastic World Series of Poker champion. She's like, JC, there's no cure to being a human. Like, you can't just take a pill and turn it off. These emotions will continue to come. It's being aware of these emotions and then being able to overcome them and not act upon them. That's really what it is. Right, right, exactly, right. It's not, it's not shutting it off. It's, it's, it's the awareness and then not, obviously not acting on it. No. Because wanting to hear a story, wanting to gossip, that's superhuman. It's incredibly human. That just means that you're homo sapien, right? right? So, you, and the prescription that I have sort of put together based on the conversations that I've had with real doctors and real experts is, at least for me, get my gossip elsewhere. Mm. You can still fulfill that human need. Right. Just don't get that dopamine fix in the market so that it impacts your decision-making. Get it somewhere else. So for me... It's like high school recruits for my favorite college football team. Like I'm up to date. I know what kids are coming to visit the campus. And like that to me is, that's what I'm interested in. And it has nothing to do with the stock market. And it fulfills my gossip. Oh, this kid chose Clemson over Miami. That mother, you know, yeah. right? Like that to me, <laughs> right? That's, you know, sports and sort of the trade, you know, that is where I get my gossip and I fulfill the human needs. So because to... Um, sort of dismiss it and not fulfill what you need as a human, I think would be, it could be detrimental. It could just completely collapse on me. So to be able to keep up with that natural necessity, uh, that's how I get, that's how I get through it. Yeah, no, perfect. Well said. Like that's great, great advice. Great advice. How far do you take it, JC, 
uh, you know, quote unquote, ignore the news, right? Like I know some people that literally, hey, don't know what that, like what the hell's going on. Just focus on trading, which is cool if that's for you. Like I'll pay attention to things, but it doesn't influence my decision making. Where do you fall on the spectrum? Yeah, so what I do is I, because your your emotions change if the if it's rainy or cold. So I just completely block out of the windows. No, I'm just kidding. Um, one guy did that once, like completely blocked out the windows. There's a famous trader who actually did that. He had like this house in the woods that he'd go to that he'd completely like. If hey, if that's what you got to do, I'm all for it. You know, whatever someone's got to do. You know, everyone's different. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's unique. Uh, for me, like, I don't have a TV. I don't have like so that that for sure helps because when I was you know, when I was sick, because that's what that's what happens is that you, you become sick, where you need that constant, you know, you, you they, they manipulate into thinking that you have to be watching this particular network throughout the day to make sure that you have the right news, and you're up to date. So what happens is you, you get sick. And you need to you need to cure that sickness. And I think the best way you could do it is just quit cold turkey. For me, it was sort of a less and less and less to the point where you know, years, maybe six years ago, I guess, I didn't have a TV at all. And I think one time I actually forgot to pay the cable bill or something like that. And I was late. I was like, you know what the hell are you going to have it? You know, <laughs> I think that's how it all ended altogether, yeah, uh, like six or seven years ago. And, you know, for me, that's just, it's, you know, it's, people are like, oh, the, the, these people only want to talk about this and these people. Well, the people that only want to talk about what's not important are the people whose job it is to distract you, Right. A lot of these people, that is their job to distract you, not yes, to yes. give you the information you need. No, <laughs> they're going to have all their bells and whistles and the music and the pretty journalists and all that stuff so that you pay attention to what they have to say, not what you need to be actually doing. So I think more music, few, less TV, more podcasts, more books, less articles, right? Um, that's how I look at it. Understand who's writing the things you're reading. Is the person writing or, or creating the content that you're consuming? What, what's their end game? Are they in the distraction business? Are they in the information business? Are they, what, what is their end game? So it's important to understand what are the motivations behind what is being said by the people that are creating the things you're consuming. Absolutely. If, I feel like you, you got you have to filter your sources like it is absolutely crucial, you know, and on many fronts, on many fronts. I, I want to ask, I want to take it back to the volume bit, JC, because this is something I want to ask you, because like you said, it, in some circles, that would be blasphemous, not looking at volume. Well, you know, I guess, yeah, what, what's your whole take around volume? If anything, I'm going to look at a volume weighted average price. It's probably the best way to look at volume. So when I say volume in Charlie Dow's sense, like, okay. you know, volume bars underneath the chart, let's just say, like that doesn't exist for me. That's yeah, completely yeah. out. Um, in fact, on that note, I have found myself over the years eliminating tools. Like I don't use moving averages either or very little, maybe a 200 day sometimes, but for mm-hmm. the most part, no moving averages. Like I, I look at those as like training wheels, like kind of like a, 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 a volume by price, you know, like on the sides, how you have volume by price. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think when you're first starting to trade, I think that's really helpful so that you can see the volume at specific areas. But once you look at enough charts, you know where the volume is, where you can see the chart. It's quite obvious, but those are nice training wheels early on. I think moving averages are like that too, right? After you look at enough charts, you know what the moving average, like do you really need a smooth, you know, right? So I think that's kind of like in that category as well. I like my charts clean. For Mm -hmm. me, JC, what's your favorite technical indicator? Well, it's price. And then a far second and everything else is, you know, relative strength and momentum, right? So that's how I look at markets. And the more shit that's on your screen, the harder it is to figure out which line is price. I mean, we all see those charts <laughs> with 15 indicators and the, every color moving average in the rainbow. Like you got your 10-day, your 20-day, your 50-day, your 100-day, your 150, your 200, your 60, the, 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 the crossovers and the exponential. And the, like, gee, like, what are you? I'm tired just listening. I can't. I can't. So for me, keep it simple, stupid, man. Keep it simple, stupid. Yes, yes, I agree. I want. I want to. I want to ask you about this too. I saw this tweet. I. I. Uh, I thought it was interesting. I, I wanted a little bit more elaboration. You said you've learned over the years that connecting the peaks and uptrends 
with diagonal trend lines is a fantastic way to make sure you miss out on all the best uptrends. Yeah. Facts. Uh, Facts only. Any, any like elaboration to that? Like what's go find, go find the greatest uptrends of all time. Yeah. All the greatest stocks, you know them. I don't have to tell you the audience knows them. Everybody knows them. Go back and go, go connect those former trend lines. See how that would have worked out for you. <laughs> All right. Enough said. <laughs> enough said. I, I uh, recently, and it, this was incidentally, I, uh, I'm reading this book and it actually profiled Fibonacci and I didn't, I didn't know this. Uh, I believe I read you look at it. You look at fibs. Maybe you still don't. Uh, any use for you, Fibonacci. I, I'm a little curious now because I. They're on all my cards. No. They're on all my charts. Oh, they're on all your charts. Every single chart of mine has either Fibonacci retracements or extensions. That's right. Okay, excellent, excellent. What's uh, what value do you gain from uh, the Fibonacci retracement? Price targets, risk management, reiterating important levels when these Fibonacci levels match up with former support and resistance levels, when Fibonacci ex uh, extension levels and retracements uh, coincide, multiple different extensions coincide with one another. Like the Dow stopped going up in January of 2018 at exactly both the Fibonacci extensions from the 2000 peak and the 07 peak. They clustered together at exactly the January 2018 high. So they say Trump trade, what, what, tr trade clause, what do they call it? Trade, trade war. The Trump yeah. trade war is what they call it. To me, it's called a price target. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> interesting. I'm going to look into it. No, he's, he was interesting. Uh, he was an uh, important guy to bring in uh, uh, the numerical system to Western society. So it's... Uh, no doubt about it. And, you know, what's interesting is that he came up with this conclusion uh, his own way, but the same exact conclusion came about a completely different way uh, in India, 1,500 years earlier, um, the same mathematics came in through, through two different problems. The same mathematics solved those problems. Uh, so it's really, really fascinating. You know, we see this, these numbers in weather and, and hurricane storms. I'm from Miami, so trust me. Um, uh, we see them in our own DNA and double helix. We see them in the size of our fingers and arms relative to our bodies. You see them in all sorts of Greek and Roman architecture. Um, Leonardo da Vinci was Mr. Fibonacci for sure. Um, it, it really is fascinating that these levels come, come to play again and again and again and again. And as somebody sitting here telling you that I like to keep it simple and I like eliminating tools versus and adding new ones, and I rip through 5,000 charts a week, if these Fibonacci levels weren't coming in handy all the time, trust me, I would not have it on. Yeah, yeah very good. Very good. Very good. I, uh, I, I really liked you, one of the re, uh, recent podcasts you did, and it wasn't even really trading related. It was the importance of writing. Yeah. And I'm a, I agree 100%. I loved it. Uh, I write. I've been writing for years. I mean, it helps me outside of trading, just everyday life. Uh, do you want to speak to that a little bit? Well, like, how did you come to this conclusion? Yeah, I mean, well, writing every day for a decade will do that. Yeah. You know, you start learning so many therapeutic benefits to the whole process. You know, just forcing yourself to put ideas down on paper forces you to have ideas. Yeah. <laughs> and and articulate it. And articulate it properly, totally. right? Yeah. And think through it because yeah. you're putting it on paper and sharing with the world. So you're not just going to put nonsense. Like it needs to make sense and you need to be able to articulate it. Like you said, um, that whole process alone uh, is unbelievably therapeutic, not to mention the benefits of being able to go back and see what you were writing, what you were seeing, what you were thinking at certain points going back a decade. You know, that has an infinite amount of benefits. Plus the audience that you get to build and the friends that you get to meet and the, you know, the, 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 the places you get invited to and the, 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 the network that you get to build because other people are reading what you have to write. Like, and those are just kind of like, you know, gravy, you know, those are all great things. But like, I mean, the truth is it's incredibly selfish uh, from a, th it's just super therapeutic. I mean, if you're not writing and just because there's, everybody has a blog now doesn't mean this is something new. Like everybody, people have had journals for centuries. Like this is, this is not a new thing. Uh, so I had Morgan Housel on the podcast, as I, I believe who you're referring to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of my favorite writers, one of the best finance writers out there today. His book just came out too. Uh, Morgan Housel, good guy. Um, you know, hung out with him a whole bunch over the years. You know, friends uh, with the community. Um, smart guy. Good, good guy to good guy to know. Good guy to talk to.
Yeah, for sure, for sure. And we'll, uh, we'll wrap this up here shortly. I want to ask you, well, what are your thoughts on the online trading community as a whole? Well, I mean, we don't have a choice as investors these days, right? It's not like you're faxing in your, your trade entry into, you know, in, the, in JJ's old days, right? Yeah, Hutton. You know, yeah, you had a ticket. They would actually yeah. stamp a ticket. The kids these days, like their heads are exploding. They're like, you had to do a what to a, to a what? Paper tickets, baby. That was the way to go. Jesus. Get that timestamp going. And then you got the little key so you could like fudge the timestamp when you have to, you know, stick. They would put it in the tubes. They... they would put the ticket in the, the tubes. tubes. The vacuum tubes. <laughs> kids are like, what the, what are these old guys talking about? Runner. <laughs> I, I would... Yeah, I was a runner on the floor. It's like a what? Where? <laughs> a what? What are you? Yeah, no, where, I was... were you, where were you running to? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anywhere, really. Uh, Usually no, to was... get lunch. Yeah, I was going to say coffee, lunch. Lunch, <laughs> coffee. Kid, get me a sandwich. Yeah. And you couldn't screw up the order. On the first oh. day, they oh, would give exactly. you 10 orders. And if you got it wrong, you couldn't come back. Exactly. And they were all from different restaurants, you know? <laughs> But that's good because if you can remember that order, you're not going to screw up the trade in the future. So it's part of the uh, training. Yeah, it's part of the 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 what do they call it? The passage of entry, the uh, yeah, yeah, right of passage. Right exactly. of passage. Hey, so, so JJ, before I get into the rapid fire questions, do you have any uh, serious related serious. trading related questions for him? I'm just uh, just curious about uh, your outlook on this week here, and just just a quick commentary on. On, on the sort of turn of events, I, I know the, sh the, you know, the bears got caught in the meat grinder again, but, uh, you know, any, any thoughts on, on this current week that we've got? There has been zero reason to be shorting stocks for five months. Zero. Not one or two reasons or three. Thank zero. You. Thank you. There's been no reason. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think these people have either been looking at their charts with their eyes closed, or maybe the charts were upside down or God forbid, not even looking at the charts, poor souls. The trends are up. Yeah. Are more, we ask ourselves, okay, are more stocks participating? Are we getting breath expansion? Are more countries around the world breaking out to new highs? Are more sectors in the US breaking out to new highs? Are more, are, are stocks completing bases and breaking out to new highs? Or are more stocks completing tops and breaking down to new lows? And it has been abundantly clear since April that, it's more breath expansion, more stocks participating, more countries around the world participating, rotation into areas that weren't participating before. Sector rotation is the lifeblood of a bull market. Expansion and participation across the board, which answers the question very simply, should we be spending our time looking for stocks to buy or should we be spending our time looking for stocks to sell? And the answer has been very obviously, look for stocks to buy uh, since April. We actually entered a few... Uh, you know, we started getting bullish around March the 10th, uh, started buying stocks, showing the most relative strength and positive momentum. And come April, started putting on a few shorts, two, maybe three short positions, got trampled over in seconds. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, the long positions were exceeding expectations simultaneously. Amazing. So we're sitting around as a team saying, okay, are we being rewarded? <laughs> For buying stocks or are we being rewarded for selling them? And it was just laughable that we were getting trampled anytime we would execute a short and all of our longs were blowing through our targets in days. It's like, hello. And people were, you know, some, I get to every now and then some asshole on Twitter. It's like, oh, coming from the guy shorting stocks in April. Yeah. And we learned our lesson. We exactly. moved on, and That's I will crazy. tell you from the bottom of my heart, had we not thrown a couple of shots on the short side and gotten so trampled over, yeah. would we have been as bullish as we have been the last five months? I'd argue probably not. So yeah. I'll take those shorts all day, baby. Exactly. Right. Those are like test trades, right? Livermore, right? Come on. You know, you, you test it out. It goes the other way. The market's trying to tell you something. That's information, yeah. man. Exactly. You're paying for information. Thank you. Oh, my God. Yeah. This has been a pleasure. <laughs> JJ's like my little John back there being like, yeah. 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 No, yeah no. Talking to people, telling JJ's them like, who, so who is this little John fellow? No, no. Here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. I'm talking to people telling them this, but this is from the perspective of someone who used to do short squeezes. I get paid to get 
you know, do short squeezes. I was a paper hanger, right? So it's nice to have someone who has a CMT, you know, who, who's from the white shoe world, you know, back up this, you know, what I've been telling people for the last six months. Yeah. You know, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and we no, because I mean, me and Jay. This is why, we're like, we you know, we're excited. We wanted to get you on the podcast. I mean, we share. You know, we're not just saying these things and agreeing with you to agree with you. Like, we share the same uh, viewpoints, and we've been talking. We talk personally about this stuff all the time. And uh, yeah, it's it's you know, it's just good to hear from somebody else as well. You know, and I've been joking and Jay, right? I've been joking with people, but I'm like halfway serious about it. I I've been t- just close your eyes and go along. <laughs> I mean, it would have it would have been working. That's the top. It's it's not the people spending money on pet costumes. That's not the top. This <laughs> Oh yeah, the pet cost. Yeah, that's another thing. All right, we'll get to the rapid fire questions. JC. All right, you ready? Shoot. All right. As a single guy, all right, I want to make a girl dinner. What's the go-to wine food pairing? How many dates have you had with her? Let's how many dates have I had with her? Okay, well she's she's at my house, so like let's assume one, two, three dates. Now she's at my house. I'm making her I'm making her dinner. Um I'm going for it. You know I'm what I mean? Gonna keep, I was gonna ask what are the goals for the evening. I'm going for it. I'm going for it, JC. That's why I said that's why I'm making her dinner. She's at my house. I'd say let's just say you've been let's just say you've been dating for a few months and you know it's, it's, it's getting a little more serious. I'd go one route. If it's a first date, second date, I'd go a different route. Um, let's start with a first date, second date. I'd go with the Bronzino, Greek style, lemon garlic in the middle. You can broil that baby in eight minutes. So just have it prepared: garlic, lemon, salt, pepper on the inside in the cavity, olive oil. And then make sure you cut some slices along the side so that it can go in there. And you can broil that baby. It'll be done in eight minutes. If you, but make sure you know how to fillet it properly. Otherwise, you're going to give her a mess. So okay. only do that Bronzino if you can handle that. Okay. Um, otherwise, don't because it'll okay. be a disaster. Okay, gotcha. Um, and then what I would do is I would do some, um, I would do some of the Greek beans, like the big butter beans that they do and they got the tomato sauce with the celery and uh and the onions right just mix all that up and you can have those beans it'll be fantastic and maybe some asparagus that's what i would do there and then if i'm, I'm dating with her for a while and we're just looking for a good feast i would do a cuban style rabo encendido which is going to be a nice braised oxtail and okay. uh you're going to do that in the pressure cooker and you're going to do that with um you know with some potatoes and some carrots and all of that is going to be in one nice meal. If you want to get some rice and beans and some platanito maduro frito there too, that would be real nice. Mm-hmm. And I would pair that with probably a Barolo or maybe like uh, maybe a Rioja Reserva, something with a little, you know, some eight, some oak uh, on that for sure to be able to balance the big, you know, fatty meatiness of the Raúl and deal. That would be my move. Excellent. Where, where did this passion come from of yours? I like to eat good food and drink good wine. I mean, it's not like, you know, it's not like that crazy, you know. No, 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 uh, no, not, no not that it's crazy, but not everybody is, uh, like, I'm enthusiastic about it, but you're very, like, hey, sommelier, you know, like. It's- listen, if you're going to be bougie, you got to make sure that you do you be bougie correctly. Very good. I'm going to remember that. I'm going to remember that. I like that. You know what I'm saying? If you're going to be eating good food, you got to know how to make good food and prepare good food and what to drink with that good food so you don't screw it up. So you don't get sushi and pair it with a Chianti, right? Like, what are you doing, bro? Get some sake or Chardonnay or something. Yeah. So, like, this is the stuff that drives me crazy. My man. It's worse than the Perma Bears. Right, right. <laughs> worse than you drinking perma. what with that? What's the matter with you, bro? It's good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to definitely rewind this one. I'm going to remember exactly what you told me. I'm going to test it out, and I'll let you know. I'll let All you right. know how it goes. Another another single guy question, right? So being from Miami, right? I go on a date in Miami. Give me a good, nice, like quaint spot to take to take a girl on a date. Whoa! So Miami's a lot's changed the last six months, obviously. So I don't know what's open or what's not. There's a great place in Miami proper in Coral Gables called Cafe Violetto. Okay. Um, you know, it's gonna be real nice. Um, you know, nice, quaint, romantic little spot, uh, locals only. You're not going to get these tourists or fist pumpers or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a nice, uh, that's going to be real nice. And then, um, you know, if you got, if you got a couple of bucks and uh, you want to do it big 
and uh, you'll see more tourists and stuff. This will be more downtown. You'll go to Il, Il Gaviano, and that's going to be an Italian joint, high-end. Uh, you know, it'll cost you a few bucks, like I said, but it's super nice, right on the water. Get yourself a nice bottle of wine. Get some Franciacorta to start. You'll be, you'll be good to go. You said excellent, excellent. Do you have, JC, do you have like a favorite or a notable me media appearance? A notable media appearance, um, a notable media appearance. So one time, so in the old days, this is 2013, I used to host a show on CNBC. It was called Fast Money, where there was like a, uh, there was a female a host, and then there was like four people like on a desk for like an hour. And like, they were just like, you know, we'd be talking about the market for an hour, right? So I would host this show like once a week for a while. And um, uh, this was, I was working in Midtown, like three blocks from the NASDAQ where we filmed it. So for me, it was a nice little stroll from the office, no big deal. You know, maybe get a coffee on the way. It was lovely. On this particular occasion, I realized maybe five minutes before I had to go on this walk that I forgot my charger for my laptop. And the way it used to work on the show is that you would sit on the desk with your laptop. So when they ask you questions, you can kind of see. And I didn't have the charger for my laptop. So I'm like, shit, I got to get to my apartment, which is on the east side of Manhattan. I was working on Fifth Avenue. So I'm like, damn. So as it turns out, my luck, has, so has it, it's UN General Assembly, which anybody who's ever lived in New York knows it's the worst possible time to be in New York City, particularly where I lived, 10 blocks from the United Nations. And in order to get to my apartment from my office on Fifth Avenue, I had to go through all those hotels where all those security for all those sketchy guys where they're staying so nobody bombs the place. So needless to say, no taxi is going to take me from Fifth Avenue to my apartment on First Avenue in the middle of rush hour during United Nations General Assembly. It would take me a month to get there. I would never get there. So I'm running in a suit. These are the old days when you'd wear suits. I'm running in my suit to my, and this is in September. This is right a little bit, like in two weeks running to my apartment, I grabbed the thing and then I had a bicycle. So I get the bicycle, I'm in a suit, head to toe, right? In the middle of September, it's hot as shit in Manhattan. And I'm racing from First Avenue and 55th Street to the NASDAQ that's on Broadway and like 43rd, weaving in and out of cop cars telling me do not enter. I'm like, gotta go, sorry. You know, like flying across town in a bicycle. I finally get to the NASDAQ in Times Square. I lock up the, you know, the, with the chain, the bicycle right next to the NASDAQ. I run into the green room and I am drenched from head to toe five minutes before we go live on air. And I'm in the green room and the place is packed with like 10 people, just like everybody who's going to be on the show, all the guests. I mean, it's a shit show in this little room and I am head to toe wet. So now I got two people with hair dryers drying me off <laughs> as I have like sort of the schedule for the show, like A block, B block. And like, you know, so I'm sitting all there. I'll never forget. I got Dennis Gartman over there just like shaking his head at me. I got Herb Greenberg on the other side be like, did you just jump in a pool? I got, I got Melissa Lee, host of the show. She's just like, she's like, he JC's going to ruin everything here. What is this kid thinking? And then they're like, and then they're trying to like both tell me what we're going to talk about on the show and sort of ask me where my bicycle is. And like, it was like a circus. And then next thing we know, it's like the music starts playing. We're live and like, nobody knows like what just happened over the last 20 minutes. Like, I'm like, if you only knew. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, that's funny. That's funny. Um, favorite world city. Tokyo. Man, a lot of people say that. A lot of people say Tokyo. Wow. Just being in that country makes me so happy. They feed me so well. <laughs> that's, probably, that's probably like the most frequent answer I've gotten when I ask people that. That's, that's, that's interesting. But it's like Mars. You know what I mean? Like it's going to another planet. You know what I mean? I'm from Miami, New York, whatever. When you go to Europe, it's like, all right, they just speak different languages. Maybe they smoke more cigarettes, right? But like, it's kind of, architecture's <laughs> older, right? But it's, kind, it's not that different, especially I come from a Spanish culture. So, you know, I go to Italy, I go to Spain, I go to Greece, and it's like basically the same shit. You know, yeah. a bunch of hairy, hungry, drunk people, right? Fantastic. So I, get, I fit in just fine. But I go to Tokyo and it's like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. All right, all right. All right, I get it. Um, Maybe top, top three, top two, whatever you want, how many you want to give uh, hip-hop artists? Um, I mean, I hate to say Biggie and Tupac, but, um, you know, let's throw Nas in that conversation. Um, 
got to I mean, you got to, how do you not include Eminem? Um, and then just from a business standpoint, cause he's not a businessman, he's a businessman. You gotta throw Jay-Z in there. Just, yeah. you know, maybe not in, in the conversation with the rappers themselves and the lyrics and all that, but from a business standpoint, yeah. you know, much respect for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I agree there. And he's uh, got the baddest bitch in the game wearing his chain. Yeah, man. Oh. So there's that. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. I, I always thought the same thing. Cause like a lot of people want to put him up at the top, you know, and I, for me personally, I never thought so. Or I wouldn't, you know, I always, I was like, Nas, I always thought Nas was a little bit more. Reasonable doubt was great, but he peaked early. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Biggie was on that. Meth was on that. Um, what, Foxy probably. <laughs> I love Matt. Mary J. Blige was on that. That was a hot record. It was. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. All right. Last one. Over, under on the Miami Dolphins win total, six and a half. Over. Really? Are you taking over? How many games are they playing? Uh, they're playing a full, full schedule, 16. Over. Yeah, you take over? All day, baby. All right. All right. Yeah, good luck to them. I, 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 at least I like what they're doing org organizationally. At least they're going to do it worse. Well, yeah, you can't. Only do one way to go from here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I'm a I'm a Jets fan, JC. So you know. Already here. Yeah, yeah. No. I, <laughs> Speaking of doing things terribly. Yeah. Right. No. no right. Right. So I can at least I see you guys. I'm like, oh shit! I wish we were. We just gotta get gaze out. You already know. We just gotta get gaze out. I think. We'll yeah, be you can have them, bro. <laughs> Keep them. Oh. <laughs> oh, talk about tilted, dude! I was so like, how did he get fired? And then we hire him. Like, it makes no sense. I was happy to see it. You play him twice a year. It's not like we don't see. It's not like we don't know, right? Yep. Whatever. Whatever. Anyway, that's going to conclude today's episode of Confessions of a Market Maker. If you guys enjoyed the show, please rate and review it for us. If you want to learn market, auction theory, market profile, trade, futures, equities, join JJ and I at microefutures.com. JC, tell the people where they can find you and uh, anything else you want them to know. Listen, I'm easy to find. AllStarCharts.com. You know, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Stock Twitch, YouTube, at AllStarCharts. Um, go to Technical Analysis Radio just uh, on the podcast, your favorite podcast channel. Just put AllStarCharts. Go back, and we have a lot. We've done, like, I don't know, maybe 110 podcasts. We're shooting out videos all the time. You know, we got a whole video production studio in, in San Diego that we're building out. So we got cool stuff. We're building dope tools, man. Ray, JJ, wait till I show you the shit that we've been building internally. We're going to be releasing it. Um, I feel like I'm a hip-hop artist here about to drop a record. I'm working <laughs> on my new project. You know, we brought in, we did, I did a collabo with Howard Lindzen and then did a collabo with Koi Finn. It's going to be hot, kid. It's going to be hot. I'm dropping platinum. There we go. Check, check this stuff out. Yeah, great podcast, great content, all that. Check it out. JJ, parting words. Oh, thank you very much for joining us, uh, JC. Really, really enjoyed it. Love your perspective and, you know, love to, uh, you know, always feel free to drop by. We, uh, we love to have your perspective on things. Yeah, man. Be in touch. You know where to find me. Like I said, all-star chars. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely. Hey, and I'm looking forward to, I love, I'm a software junkie, so I, I can't wait to see it. Sick. Look forward to showing you. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. So for JC Perry, I'm Paulie Walnuts. He's the gorilla of House Street. You stop, so. Have a good one. AKA Larry Zonka. You like that, Larry Zonka? <laughs> well, I knew you were a Dolphin fan, so I had to.